let's start with the practice of the Prashna Paramita, the Great Mother. So you take some time to <coughs> relax into the quietness of the evening. something maybe there could be a sense of satisfaction and contentment of having spent a meaningful a meaningful day and notice how the earth carries you in your body stillness. space in front of you manifests Prajnaparamita, golden in color, sitting in a lotus, radiant, smiling, the great mother, with her the presence of all the goodness and the care you have received in your life. The protections of the Buddhas. And you feel her golden light bathing your whole body. You feel her smile in your heart. You see her loving gaze. And you bring yourself along, just as you are, the whole catastrophe.
feel how her seva is reaching into your darkest places, where you are hard, where you are closed, where you are ashamed, where you feel guilty, where you want to hide. where you want to give up. So breathing with the whole body in the soft glow of Tseva. feel to be seen, to be naked, and to be loved unconditionally. with her smile, she says, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Inside the mantra, you just continue to stay present in your body, feel the energy of the mantra, continue to feel the glow of tseva, of wisdom. <coughs> Om Gate Gate Paragate.
Paramita, the perfection of wisdom, radiant, blissful. And then dissolving into that blissful light which enters your body at your heart level. Your heart opens like a flower. And Seva opens your chest, fills your whole body and you become like the goddess herself sitting in a lotus as if there's Prajnaparamita in your heart spreading and you become like her 
seva to the pores of your body, through your hands, your feet, your mouth, your eyes. First going to our families, children, partner, friends and colleagues, particular to those who are in crisis, bathing them in seva, seeing them receiving seva. flow where it wants to flow.
lotus in the center of the mandala of your life, radiating compassionate presence into the mandala of your life, past, present and future. Softening. Feel your feet, your hands, your face. further with the wish for well-being share the positive energy of practicing today in the container of the eight Mayana precepts, practicing harmlessness, non-violence, as if we throw a stone into this lake and there's waves, ripples going into all directions. In the same way there's ripples of non-violence of loving-kindness of Tseva going out into all directions over the countryside bringing hope and healing bringing Seva <coughs> may all beings be happy and may people look after each other
Would you like to uh, talk a bit about what just happens? happened? had talked about it uh, yeah. in, in our conversation before so that, that, brought, that brought that up mm. yeah. mm. it's good it's, yeah, definitely it's good yeah. yes mm. yeah. mm. is, he st is she still alive yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Not the place for um, no. uh, embracing psychotherapy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, and it's all uh, yeah. an illusion anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> but the mother uh, and father is uh, is uh, is an important illusion. <laughs> What happened? Uh, was there a certain moment where you know something I said, or well, did it build well, up? Or it w maybe it was just the, the right moment of you know. Mm. Uh, I still have uh, a lot of. Uh, emotional responsibility towards her mm, and mm. being able to uh, to shut off the phone for mm. a week yeah <laughs> being able to shut off the phone is yeah, you know, you know, is, uh, is a progress or yeah it's yeah, a progress yeah, it's good yeah. Uh, yeah it's time to cut the yeah, cord yeah, you know. so You think you can just be with this? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. It looks like. Mm. It feels. Mm. It yeah. feels alright. Yes, it feels alright. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's good.
How do you feel about uh, uh, crying in front of all these people? Uh, it feels it feels okay. It feels okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's uh, everything is very thoughtfully made here. I, mm. find, I find that uh, people have a good attitude. Mm. Yeah. So you feel safe. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yes. It feels you know everything is very nicely arranged. Now. Mm. Good. That is also what made it maybe possible to connect with these feelings because yeah. you know, otherwise you would have probably managed to contain them. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> Good. Uh, I, I stopped you to give him a tissue because mm. sometimes uh, th this kind of interrupts the process yeah. and I, I felt it was good that yeah. he was just giving the space to uh, to go through this. Yeah, yeah, it's like, of course, that's a nice <laughs> impulse. <laughs> but it's also, it, it can give the message of, you know, here, do something with it, you know, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes it's better to and it was good that you gave him gave him your hand so that it's like you give him some support like you are here and there is someone there how did it feel for you? did you notice it? oh yeah, yeah. you're asking me yeah yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, um, I thought it was nice yeah. it was good yes. uh, you know uh, Johanna and I have uh, known each other since we were kids. Ah, and, okay. Uh, ah, I didn't know that. My parents and her parents were ah, friends, okay. you know. It's, uh, ah, okay, wow. Yeah. Many layers. Ah. <laughs> so, yes. so she was the, exactly the right one to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because she, she, could, she knows your mother and she, mm. your history. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. Strange. <laughs> yeah, but it was also. I think it was good that she didn't really, kind of. She didn't invade. Yeah, no. exactly. It was just no. like here. I'm here, and it's okay. Mm. And and so that was that was a good support. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was so happy you stopped because I had a similar reaction once, mm. but for other reasons. Mm. I felt it so embarrassing to um, cry in front of people. I was like the strong one. Uh, mm. But they let me cry until there was no more tears. Mm. And I got the tissue. And it was so healing. After that, I don't care if I get tears in my eyes. Mm. It's not the problem mm. anymore. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk before the retreat that you both go and you know 
the new from each other that you go to this yes. retreat? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <coughs> it was uh, Johanna who ah. brought mm -hmm. up, you know, the possibility of me coming ah, okay. to uh, Tibetan center and uh, ah. on that way. Ah, yeah, okay. Mm. Great. Mm. Yes. So. Tonight I want to again read you a story about a teacher, this, uh, this, this time a woman, and uh, I must admit I, I don't have so many stories about women, uh, so I had to uh, return to Deepama, yeah. but I think it's about Five six years ago, I read the stories, so I think that we can, I can repeat them. Yeah, maybe some of you have bought that book and, and know, but um, anyway, I think it's nice to be reminded and uh, invite her into this retreat, uh, feel her presence. Uh, so it's good, even if you know the story. So those who don't know. Uh, Deepa Ma is uh, one of the very few uh, awakened teachers or you know, acknowledged as the awakened teachers, uh, a female uh, awakened teacher in the Theravada tradition. So in the Theravada tradition, they still have this thing, you know, you need to be a man. Like uh, the best you can do as a woman is to aspire to be reborn as a man in your next life. <laughs> so, It's kind of the, the attitude. So it's quite rare that uh, in, in that tradition that uh, uh, women take the seat as, a, as an accomplished teacher, mm -hmm. particularly in, not so much in the West, that is quite balanced, but in, in the traditional environment. So Deepama was born in India, but she uh, married a, ma a, a, a man from Burma, <coughs> And uh, so she moved there, and uh, that's where she got to learn meditation. In, in, you know, there's, uh, it's a very uh, strong Buddhist tradition in, in Burma, still is. And uh, at one point, um, her husband died and one of her children. And uh, so it, that was like a turning point to turn towards practice even more so she really took refuge and uh, and uh, started to practice and she got results and um, so this is a book where a bit the this it's the description of a life story uh, but it's actually mainly a book where students of her uh, Western students, Uh, recollect uh, the meetings with her and what how it was to be with her and what she said and so it's it's like little little stories it's it's a book of little stories of many different people uh, so what happened was that and this is where I want to uh, kind of start uh, to read so what happened was that she moved to Calcutta back to Calcutta and uh, and that's where in the 70s Uh, she uh, started to have her first Western students. 
So uh, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and many of the first-generation meditation teachers, uh, they became students of her. And um, so that she had a really big impact on uh, American Buddhism because she was the teacher of the, the people who started the Inside Meditation Society and the important retreat centers, Spirit Rock and uh, in the United States. So she was the teacher of these people. So I will just uh, jump into her life. Uh, uh, in, in, it's like the second half of, your li- of her life. In 1967, the Burmese government ordered all foreigners, including Indian emigres, emigres, to leave the country. Deepama was in a quandary about whether to stay or go. The monks assured her that she could get special permission to remain in Rangoon as a teacher and that her daughter could also remain in the country. That was an unprecedented unprecedented honor for a foreigner, much less a woman and a single mother. She reflected on the possibility of staying, but the political situation, especially in Rangoon, grew worse. Her concern for the quality of Deepa's Deepa's education, that is her uh, her daughter, Deepa, finally convinced her that it was time to leave. In India, she decided Deepa could reconnect with her roots and also pursue higher education in her native Bengali. They moved to a relative's house in the suburbs of Calcutta. In her new surroundings, Deepa Ma missed the company of like-minded people. She invited neighborhood women to practice meditation, but they were not interested. After a year, mother and daughter moved to a tiny apartment in an old building above a metal-grinding shop in the center of the old quarter of Calcutta. It had a a closet-sized kitchen, three feet by six feet, with one burner on the floor, no running water, and a communal toilet for several families. Deepa Ma slept on a thin straw mat. Also, Deepa was attending university on government grants. They had no income and got by on uh, on the goodwill offerings of family members. Eventually, Word spread through the Bengali community that an accomplished meditation teacher, one who could bring results, had arrived from Burma. Also, many families observed Buddhist rituals. Meditation was still foreign to the average layperson. Deepama offered something new and different, an actual spiritual practice. One by one, Kakata housewives began to arrive at her doorsteps. Presenting tough but effective lessons for people who wanted to meditate in the midst of busy lives as householders, Deepa Ma taught her students to use every moment as an opportunity for practice. Mindfulness, she said, could be applied to every activity, speaking, ironing, cooking, shopping, caring for children. The whole path of mindfulness 
she repeated tirelessly, is this. Whatever you are doing, be aware of it. Deepa Ma had so much faith in the power of practice amid the hubbub of home life that one admired, admirer dubbed her the patron saint of householders. When asked about the difference between formal meditation practice and daily life, she insisted you cannot, you cannot separate meditation from life. Everything, everything she asked of her students, Deepa Ma did herself and more. Adhering to the five precepts, mm -hmm. sleeping only four hours at night, don't do that, <laughs> meditating many hours every day. Students were accept, expected to report to her on their practice twice a week and to undertake periods of self-guided retreat during the year. While, my, while most Calcutan, Calcutans lo, love discussion and talk, Deepama was often silent or spoke only a few simple phrases when she taught. Her students were able to take refuge in the silence and the unshakable peace and the unshakable peace that she provided. She was one of the few people in my life in whose presence I have gone quiet, one student recalled. I was able to rest in her silence like resting under a large shade tree. The family's one-room apartment had to serve as a bedroom, bedroom and living, living space for Deepa Ma, her daughter, and later, later also for her daughter's son, Rishi. It was also teaching space for the, West, for the students, both Indians and Westerners, who began arriving. Sometimes Deepa Ma's room would be so cramped with students that they had to stand outside in the hallway and on the balcony. Mm -hmm. With a continuous stream of visitors from early morning until late at night, Deepa Ma never refused anyone, no matter how tired she was. When her daughter urged her to take more time for herself, she insisted, they are hungry for the Dharma, so let them come. Even ordained monk, Sought, sought her guidance as a teacher. So this is maybe not so spectacular for you, but <laughs> no, as a monk you actually take the vow not to receive teachings from, from lay people. I mean, from, from lay men, not talking about women. <laughs> the venerable Rastapala Mahatera, who by then had been a monk for 18 years, recalled that some disapproved of his choice of teacher, asking why, after completing a doctoral degree, he would practice meditation under a woman. I don't know the way, he explained, but she knows, so I will take help from her. I don't regard her as a woman, I think her of her only as my teacher. He did a retreat under her guidance and experienced for himself what he had only read about for 18 years. Deepa Ma gave him her blessing to teach and six months later in 1970, he established the first inside meditation center in India, the well-known International Meditation Center in Bodh Gaya. Deepa Ma's daughter witnessed many transformation in the community of students. When students first started meditating, 
Their behavior was full of restlessness, anger, gossip and harsh speech. After some months of practice, such behaviors subsided. Males, male students who had killed fish and animals gradually gave up hunting because of Deepama's influence. Jack Engler, who went to India in the mid-70s to further his own meditation practice and to complete his doctoral research on, on Buddhist meditation, noted that even people living in proximity to Deepama were affected by her presence. He, 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 he's, he tells the story. When she first moved into her apartment comp complex, it was a pretty noisy and contentious place, with a lot of bickering, arguing and yelling among the tenants, amplified by the open courtyard. Everyone knew everyone else's business because it was being shouted back and forth all the time. <laughs> Within six months of her moving in, the whole place had quieted down and people were starting to get along with each other for the first time. Her presence and the way she dealt with people, quietly, calmly, gently, treating them with kindness and respect, setting limits and challenging their behavior where necessary, but, of, but out of concern for everyone's welfare, not of anger or simply desire for her personal comfort, set an example and made it impossible to carry on in the angry, contentious way they had before. It was the simple force of her presence, we could say of her seva, you couldn't act like that around her, you just didn't. Joseph Goldstein was the first American student to be introduced to Deepa Ma. In 1967 he had been He had met Munindra while staying at the Burmese Meditation Center in Bodhgaya. Munindra told, later told Joseph that he had someone special for him to meet and brought him to Deepama. Their, their bond developed into a loving mother-son relationship until her death, 20 years later. Joseph recalled one of his first visits to her apartment. To get to her small rooms on the top floor, You had to go down a narrow dark hallway and then up many dark flights of stairs. But when you got to her rooms, they felt filled with light. The feeling was wonderful. And then I would and when I would leave, it was as if I was floating down the streets of Calcutta, floating through the dirt and crowds. It was a very magical and sacred experience. In the early 1970s, Joseph introduced her friend Sharon Salzbeck to Deepa Ma. A similar, long-lasting bond was formed. Deepa Ma adopted both Sharon and Joseph like her own children. Sharon recalls how Deepa Ma kept photo albums of all of them together. They would drink tea, look at the albums and talk about Dharma. Sharon and Joseph both remember Deepa Ma as the most loving person I have ever met. Jack Cornfield, who met Deepa Ma in the late 1970s, recalls his, first, recalls his first encounter with her. I had been a monk for a while and I was used to bowing to teachers, 
So I started to bow with, to her. I felt a little awkward. She wasn't a monk. She was a householder. But she just picked me up off the floor and gave me this great big bear hug, which is how she gre greeted me every time I saw her. It was wonderful. It was as if she was saying, none of this bowing stuff. I'm not the big teacher that we have to make a big deal about. Just a huge hug. Jack, Joseph and Sharon, now all teaching in America, told their own students about Deepama. Their students told others, who in turn told still others. Deepama was a, was a curious entity to Westerners. Physically, she was almost invisible. A frail, little, elderly woman poking out of her white sari like a little bug wrapped up in cotton. Cotton, <laughs> as one put it. Like a little bug wrapped up in cotton, as one put it. Yet spiritually, she was a giant. Entering her presence felt like walking into a force field where magical things could happen. Perceptual changes, mind-to-mind -mind communication, and spontaneous states of deep concentration. In 1980 and in 1984, Joseph Sharon and Jack Cornfield invited Deepa Ma to teach during the annual three-month retreat at Insight Meditation Society. Even though Deepa Ma was 69 and poor health and uncomfortable with airplane travel, she agreed to make the long journey to America, bringing along her daughter, her toddler grandson and grandson, grandson and a translator. The cultural gap for Deepa Ma was enormous. She was completely unfamiliar with ordinary details of American daily life. For example, that water for, for bathing is dispensed from a shower, that dogs live inside and are fed from bowls, that cornflakes and milk are eaten with a spoon, that boxes on the street spit out money when you press buttons. Sharon Salzberg related this anecdote. This is, this is a very important anecdote. It's, if you understand this anecdote, you have your breakthrough in this retreat. So it's a koan worth to, worth to contemplate. So it's Sharon Salzberg telling this story. Deepa Ma lived simply and didn't understand Western technology. The first time we brought her to the States, we were showing her grocery stores and this and that. We took her to what was then one of the first ATM machines, you know, the automatic teller machines, where you put in your card, punch in your code and the money comes out. She's standing there outside the wall of the bank and we do our whole thing. And she's just standing there shaking her head saying, oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. We said, what's so sad? And she said, the poor person who has to sit inside that wall all day, no light and no air, and you stick in the cart and they read it and they hand you your, your money. 
So we said, no, no, there's nobody in there. There's just this process that happens. And she said, ah, that's like anatta, the, abs- the absence of self. And we said, right. Then she began to teach, right in that moment, the teaching of anatta. Not only the absence of a core being, somehow in control of this process, demanding that the body and the mind act according to its whim or will or wish, but also that great sense of interconnectedness, of transparency, of oneness that comes when we look deeply, deeply inside of ourselves. <coughs> Although Deepama's teaching experience had not included sitting on a platform tethered to a microphone in front of a large hall of students, she attempted to accommodate her American hosts. Unused to the cold weather of New England, she would arrive in the meditation hall, as one student remembers, so wrapped up in coats and shawls that you didn't know what it was, (laughs) who it was, or what it was. She was fond of addressing your audience with the refrain, You are all my Dharma children. I could not neglect your call to come here. While health problems prevented her return to the United States after the 1984 trip, Deepa Ma continued to teach from her Calcutta apartment until her death five years later. She died on the evening September 1st, 1989, at the age of 78. Her 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 death came unexpectedly. When Deepa returned from work that evening, her mother wasn't feeling well. Deepa asked if she should call a doctor. Deepa Ma hesitantly agreed, hesitantly agreed, and the neighbor, Sandip Mutsudi, went to find the doctor but couldn't locate him. When Sandip returned, he sat down next to Deepa Ma and began to massage her arm. He recalled. Then Ma asked me to touch her head. So I touched her head and I I started chanting the sutras she taught me. When she heard me chanting, she bowed with her hands in prayer. She bowed toward the Buddha and did not get up. So we both lifted her off the floor and found that her breathing had stopped. She had died in her bow to the Buddha. Her face was very calm and at peace. Nearly 400 people attended Deepama's funeral several days later. Her body lay on an open cot. One by one, students filed past, laying garlands on their teacher's body until she was completely covered with flowers. So that's Deepama. I just wanted to read one little
So this is uh, um, a chapter called Bowing to Love. So it's about her tseva. Uh, in, a busy, in a busy Santa Fe coffee house one morning, Sharon Salzberg was asked, what was Deepa Ma's greatest gift to you? Sharon paused for a moment and her face softened. Deepa Ma really loved me, she said. And when she died, I wondered, will everyone ever really love me like that again? She fell silent. And for a few moments, it was as if a gate had opened into another world. In this other place, there was only one thing, complete and total love. Of course, Sharon added with a quiet smile, it wasn't just me. It wasn't personal. Jacqueline Mandel once asked Deepama whether she should be practicing mindfulness or loving-kindness. Deepama answered, From my own experience, there is no difference between mindfulness and loving-kindness. For her, love and awareness were one. Think about it. When you are fully loving, aren't you also mindful? When you are fully mindful, is this not also the essence of love? Josef Goldstein recalls that once when he saw Deepa Ma bow to the Buddha, it was so clear that there was no one there. It was just love bowing to love. Another student said, To Deepa Ma, enlightenment was great love. Her teachings were about connecting to others and being kind. Her heart, like the door to her apartment, her heart, like the door to her apartment, was always open. And in that great heart, everyone, whether in sorrow or in celebration, could come and go and be held in her loving embrace. The Sufi teacher, Ashagir described being hugged by Deepama so, so sorrily that my six feet fit into her great vast empty heart with room for the whole of creation. So, then, last little story. For a couple of years, it seemed that whenever I visited New York City, my car would get broken into and my radio ripped off. I had been invited to a friend's wedding in Queens. I told Deepama that I was thinking of taking the train because my radio always gets stolen. Don't be silly, she said. Go by car. So we, so we ended up taking the car, which by that time had a security system installed in it. We parked the car and went to the wedding. When we came out, sure enough, my car had been broken into yet again. This time... They took not only the radio, but all my tapes, too. When we got back, I walked into the house and Deepama asked, How was the wedding? The wedding was great, I said. But my car got broken into again and the radio was stolen. I'm really upset. Deepama just burst out laughing. What's so funny? You must have been a thief in your former lifetime. <laughs> How many more times do you think you will need to have your radio stolen? 
You tell me, I demanded. How many more times? Tell me, so I can be prepared. Ignoring my question, she asked, What did you do? What was your reaction when the car was broken into? I was really angry because it's happened so many times and I thought I had a security system. She looked at me in amazement. You mean you didn't even think about the man who took your radio? How sad his life must be? She closed her eyes and started chanting quietly to herself. And I knew she was saying matter, loving kindness blessings for this thief. It was a wonderful lesson for me. So, now she is also here, sitting there somewhere. Together with the Dalai Lama and the Kamapa, same level. And uh, sleep well. Thank you very much for your attention. And uh, well done. So tomorrow, another day, another happy day uh, of practicing the Dharma. So when do we start? Uh, when was it? Six, Six o'clock. Okay.